I want to talk about a particular topic called, I love you, I love you not. I love you, I love you not. And this month we have been uh, 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 really just had some phenomenal teachings, but we've been taking a specific scripture that we've been reading from, and we'll read it just in a second here, but a specific scripture that really struck me in a particular way. Has anyone ever heard of the Daisy Oracle? Have you ever heard of the Daisy Oracle, right? The Daisy Oracle was something that was supposedly from the 1800s and possibly a little bit earlier than that, but it's a story of a young, a young maiden who is in love with a young gentleman and she's wondering if he loves her. And she has this forlorn desire within her to be loved by this young man. And an, an oracle comes to her and says, if you pick off all the petals off of this daisy, which is, this is not a daisy, by the way, but just stay with me, okay? If you pick off this petals and you get to the last one, the last one will determine what your future is. It will determine if you are to be loved or not to be loved. And so she picked them off one by one. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Oh, you're getting it with me. That's good, that's good. Come on with me. Ready? He loves me, he, he loves me. That's the big flower. It's going to be here all afternoon. The whole sermon is us picking up what's it going to be, what's it going to be. But it's amazing how this is, uh, you know, everybody knows this, right? Has anyone ever done this before? Just for fun as kids, right? We've all done it, but no one believes it, right? No one, no one, or do you? I don't know, I don't know. But this is like a, a daisy oracle that de determines by chance what your future will be. This is like a daisy divination right here, right? As being able to figure out what the future is. Now, in the reading of our scripture, I wonder if God thinks of us this exact same way too. Because our scripture of this month has been based on Matthew 5, 43 to 48. And it says this, this is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I love you, but I don't love you. Who am I looking at? I don't know, just randomly. I love you, but I don't love you. I love you, <laughs> I really love you, but you, not so much. That section over there, I'm not sure I really like them at all. I love you, but I don't love you. And I wonder if sometimes God actually looks at us and wonders, are we the type of people who are just picking love petals in our lives? We're picking and choosing who it is that we can or should actually love. And this is an angst of love. This is an angst of love when we're doing it of he loves me, he loves me not, where there is no real certainty of love in our lives. And I wonder if sometimes if we're worried that someone else doesn't love me, and, and many of you have been in romantic relationships where you really liked someone, right? And you're like, but do they love me back? Do, I, do they like me as much as I love them? There's an angst within you that I don't know that I'm loved as much as I love them. And sometimes I wonder if God is sitting there going that he has an angst. I know God doesn't have angst, but he has an angst of do you love people the way that he loves them? Do you feel what he actually feels in his heart? And he is not necessarily certain about whether your love is big enough or good enough or great enough to be able to reach the people that he wants to send you to. Why does he want to send you with no love? John said, what's the point of me having all these gifts? Or was in, in Corinthians, not John, uh, Paul, he said, what is the point of me having all these gifts and all these good things if I don't have love? 
And I wonder if, if God is going, why should I give you any more gifts? Why should I send you out? Who do I want to send you to if I'm not confident that you have this love within your heart? And I believe as believers, as Christians, that we have to have the certainty of a fullness of love within us, a secure love within us. And here's Jesus saying, well, here's the, here's the way to do it. I want you to take it to the next step and I want you to start loving your enemies. Now that is a hard thing to do. But when there was a man who was actually a follower of Jesus that wrote one of the gospels and it was called the Gospel of John and he called himself the beloved disciple. He was the guy who got the whole idea of love. So much so that he was able to receive so much more love from God, from Jesus. Not because he was more loved by Jesus, but simply because he was able to receive it more from Jesus. And so he was called the beloved disciple and he was the one who called that himself. It wasn't someone else who said, you seem to be more loved by Jesus. No, he's like, I am loved more by Jesus because he received it more. And I believe that we have to figure out how to increase this, 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 this certainty of a fullness of love within us. So I want to read from John, 1 John chapter 4. Because the beloved disciple, I believe, was making commentary on what Jesus said about love. And we're going to be reading from chapter 4. And at verse, starting from verse 7, going all the way to verse 21. Now, if you're uh, with us online right now, if, you want to, if you've got a Bible app or you've got a Bible with you, maybe you want to follow it along in your scriptures because sometimes I find it much easier just to follow it along as I'm looking at it, even as someone is reading it to me. So here we go, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now let me just stop there for a second. In 1 John is the only sacred text in history where it describes God as love. Three times it says it. There's no other religion, no other sacred text that literally say that God is love. Love is defined by God. God is defined by love, right? the only time. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love amongst us. Let me go back just a second here. It says, this is how. I want you to take note of that because you're going to read that sentence several times over now during this, this reading. This is how. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. How? He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. That's the second time he just said it. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. How? In this world, we are like who? Jesus. Therefore, 
is there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. That's a strong sentence, right? If you say you love God, but you actually hate someone else, you don't love that enemy, you're a liar. Gosh, talk about a drop in the mic moment, right? For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen with their own eyes, they cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Do you see how this is like a commentary on what John is saying about what Jesus has said when he said, love your neighbors as yourself. The interesting thing is when Jesus went on further, he says, and also be perfect as your father is perfect. And here is what John is saying the same thing. We have to come to this completion. We have to come to this perfection of our love. Now, in all these, uh, in all these uh, this is how statements, I believe that John was actually tackling four different questions that I believe that every person wrestles with and struggles with in their lives. Now, he did use, his, he did use the, word, the phrase, this is how. He used that many times in the book of John. But specifically, there are four specific questions that are specifically to do with love. Four questions that John answers with this is statements. Here we go. Number one. The first one is this. How do we know that God really loves us? How do we know that God really loves me, myself? Well, he says this. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world and that we might live through him. Now, Stay with me on this because we are going to be doing a lot of scripture here. I don't want to lose you on this. But there's a reason why John is so certain about his statements. And it's simply because he found out and figured out what love is about. And I believe that the reason why many can't love their enemies, that struggle with loving their enemies, is simply this, that they don't know if God actually loves them. How can God love me? Do you know what I have done? If you know what you have done, sometimes you're, you're just like, God, how can God love me? How, how is it possible that he would love someone just as small as me and he knows who I am? He knows the hairs on my head. Really? He's a big God. How can he love me? And also, does he know the things that I've done? Does he know that I've lied? Does he know that I've cheated? Does he know that I have lust? Does he know that I've looked at things on the internet that I shouldn't have done? Does he know that I've treated someone so badly that I abused them? Does he know that I'm a lazy person? Does he know those things? Because that's the voices that go in our own heads and beat ourselves up. How can God then accept me? But here's John saying, only a revelation that God loved you can give you the power to love anyone else. You have to get this revelation that God does love you or you will never have the power to love anyone else. Why? Because you can't give what you haven't received. Let me say it again. You can't give what you haven't received. And it's important for us to be able to know how to receive the knowledge or the revelation that God actually does love us. Have you ever struggled with forgiving someone else? Well, guess what? You don't know what you've been saved from because knowing what you deserve makes loving people so much easier. If you know that you shouldn't be loved by God, if you know that you deserve punishment in your life, 
then that should make it so much easier to love other people. It's a different perspective. Let, let me give you an example. This is, this is an odd example, right? This has got nothing to do with love, but it's a matter of perspective. Years ago, about, about 15 years ago, I actually fell off a 25-foot roof. I fell off of this roof. And some of you know about that story. I fell off the roof onto an open door. My back cracked against the door. And I remember just laying there thought, thinking, I have absolutely broken my back for sure. I was in such searing pain. And my life was just going beyond, just in front of my eyes. And I got to the hospital and, you know, they had, they had tightened me all up and they put scans on me. And they're like, son, the doctor went, he's an older man. He goes, I don't know who's looking out for you, but you should have broken your back. I've never seen anyone fall from that height and not break something. But for the fact that you landed on an open door, you should have broken your back. That was such a shift in perspective in me that I started to appreciate. I, number one, I stopped going on roofs. But number two, yeah, it's good. Thanks very much. I, I move in wisdom. Number two, I started to have such an appreciation for my legs. I started to have an appreciation for what I could do. I could take myself and dress myself. I could walk wherever I wanted to walk. I could, I could go to the restroom without any aid. I could do things like I'd never been able to do before. And I looked at life differently. I looked at people even in wheelchairs differently. I had a new compassion because of what I had been saved from. The same is true that if you realize how much God loves you and what you've been saved from, it makes it so much easier to love those that hate you, to love your enemies, because you realize that you should have been in the same place that they were in. You should have been broken and damaged and rejected and denied, but no, God decided to bring you into his family. That is absolutely life-changing. How do we know that God loves us? Because God gave his son when he didn't deserve it. God gave his son to save you when you had no reason or right to be able to be saved. You didn't deserve it. Number two, here's my next question that I believe that John is asking. He's asking this question. How do we know what real love even looks like? It's great that we keep talking about this thing called real love, but how do we even know what does it absolutely look like? And it says in 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Love wasn't based on what I believe is transactional love. And one of the next reasons why I believe that people struggle with trying to love their enemies is because they operate out of transactional love, which basically means this. If I do this for you, you do this for me. Well, if you do that for me, then I have to give this back to you. We have to make it equal. As long as you love me, I'll love you. It's amazing how many, and forgive me, I'm not looking to condemn anyone here this morning, but it's amazing how many of us take vows on our wedding day. I'll be here with you through thick and thin, through, through life or death. I'll always love you to the very end. But one thing we don't say, as long as you do it for me, that's transactional love. It's not divine love. The world approaches love, uh, the world's approach to love is to trade it. But God's approach was to give it when you couldn't give it. How do we know what real love looks like? It's this, it's simple, that God loved us when we couldn't return it. It's one thing to not know how to, 
It's one thing to not be deserving of love, but it's a completely different game when you don't even know how, you, you can't even give love back to God. What do you have that you can give back to Him? There was no transaction that God was looking for. He just decided to do it in order that you might become who you're meant to become. And even at that point, you even have the free will to say, thanks God, I'm not gonna love you back. Everybody has the free will to do that. In fact, hell is not a place that God is trying to send you to out of punishment. Hell is basically you saying, I'm sorry, I don't wanna live with you, God. Hell is a place where you're basically saying, I don't want to give anything back to you, God. And let me tell you, it may be amazing that people think, well, I don't need to have God. I can live by myself. But I'm telling you, the day that you have, when you realize how much you do need God, is going to be a horrific day. That's why hell is so horrific. It's simply because God is no longer in relationship with any of these people. They couldn't give love in the first place, but they give the opportunity to be able to fall in love with God and to be able to love other people the way that he has loved us. Number three, the third question I believe that, God, that, that, that John is tackling is this. How do we know that we can love our enemies? How do I know that I'm able to be able to do this? It's a great, it's a great command, right? It's a great word. Just love. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And, but I'm saying you should love your enemies. Oh, that's great. That seems like a really impossible, nearly implausible thing because if I could love them, then they wouldn't be my enemy, surely. But John says this in 1 John 4.13. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. And it's this. He has given us of his spirit. What does this mean? I believe the reason why sometimes we struggle with loving people that we don't like is because there's a disconnect in us with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two reasons or two groups of people that I believe have a disconnect with the Holy Spirit. The first group is the group of people who have not actually believed in Christ in the first place. They don't have a relationship with Christ. So how can they actually believe? How, how can they have a relationship with the Holy Spirit if you don't have a relationship with, the Holy, with, with Jesus? And John says this. He says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, acknowledges basically means to believe in. You don't receive Jesus because he's not here. He's in heaven. But you receive the Holy Spirit. So therefore, if anyone acknowledges or believes in that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. At that point is when you receive the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense so far? So let me tell you, if you have not made that commitment to say, Jesus, you are mine and I am yours and I want to be submitted to you, I want to believe in you and I want to follow your way. If this is your first time that you've ever considered doing this, I want to encourage you to do it today. Do it today. For the Bible says that now is the day of salvation. This moment, we don't know what's coming tomorrow. This moment is the opportunity. Even if you're listening to me online and you're at home with our Northwest Church family, I want you to know this. You have an opportunity just to reach out to God today. There's nothing you can do to make yourself better. There's nothing you can do to bring to Him. You can't make yourself more special. You just have to decide, I follow you. That's the first group of people who don't have the Holy Spirit. There's a second group of, of people who don't have this Holy Spirit, and it's this. It's those who are believers, but they're still in charge of their own life. 
They're still in charge of their own desires. They're still in charge of their own emotions. They're still deciding who they love. I'm going to love this person. I'm not going to love that person. I'm going to do this thing, but I'm not going to do that thing. And we keep pulling off. We keep choosing what our emotions are. Our, our emotions are controlling us. And we keep choosing who it is that we're going to love and who it is that we're not going to love. If you're struggling to love someone, let me make this very clear. Repent and put the Holy Spirit back in charge in your life. It's as simple as that. Well, how do I know? I don't, it's just, it's not, I don't have to have googly feelings for them. Surely, Peter, I just, I just, I don't like them. That's fine. There's many people I don't like as well. But when there's bitterness in your heart, that's when you know there is a dearth of love within you. How do you know you have bitterness? I'll tell you how. You have nothing good to say about them. And all you do is you maybe have constant tape recorder arguments with them in your head. You don't want to be in the same room with them. You don't want to look at them in the eye. There's many ways you can tell if you have bitterness in your heart and you still don't have love for that person. If you don't have love for that person and you say you love God, John says, you're a liar. This is tough stuff, right? And I get it. It is tough to do this stuff. Years ago, I had an opportunity to be bitter and I was probably for a while. My, the church that my mother and father had planted many years ago, uh, my father passed away and my mother was receiving a, a, a pension from the church. And the government came along and said to the church, no, you can't give that pension. That's not the pension you, you're meant to give to this lady. And instead of changing it and turning it into something else, which I believe they could have done, they decided no longer to pay my mother any pension whatsoever. And that really felt, that was gutting for me because I felt my mother rejected. The only reason why they have the church and the resources is because of all the work and the sacrifice my mother and my father put into this church. And I could feel this bitterness rising up inside of me. Who the heck do they think they are? But except worse words. Who the heck do they think they are? And so I started to calculate, do I get a lawyer? Do I sue them? Do I make it public? Do I do this and I do that? And I knew that God brought me to this place and said, do you really want to be that person? Not do you really want to do those things, but do you really want to be that person? I realized I don't. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry all the time. I want to sleep at night. And I realized I had to repent because the Holy Spirit wasn't in charge of my decision making. You follow me so far? This comes down to, how do I know I can love my enemies? It's really simple. The Holy Spirit will be the one that's in charge. That's how you know you can love your enemies. This is not, this is not a demand that you have to figure out how you're going to love them and feel good about yourself and feel good about them. No, no, no. You don't have to make that decision. You don't have to be in control of that. You just give it to the Holy Spirit and say, what do you want me to do? Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Because what, what else am I going to do? Because whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to make it fall apart and I'm going to destroy it and I'm going to end up hating that person. I can't afford to trust my own heart. I must put Jesus, I must put the Holy Spirit in charge of my heart and my decision-making process. That's why John said, it's by the Holy Spirit that you're able to love people. Just obey, that's all you need to do. Let's go to the final one, the last one, number four. How do I live in perfect love? How do we live in perfect love? Because again, it's great to have the knowledge of this. It's great to accept this concept. But how do I now go do the darn thing? How do I live in perfect love? Well, here's the thing. After Jesus said, love your enemies, and, and uh, sorry, was it? 
what? Love your enemies. Right, that's what he said. Love your neighbor, hate your, hate your enemies. And I say differently, you should love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. How do we live in perfect love? Jesus went on and finished off that thought and he said this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I'm out because I don't know how to do this perfect stuff. How do you be perfect as God is perfect? That just seems like a too much of a high demand that Jesus is putting on us. That's only if you understand perfection the way that you look at perfection. Flawless, perfect, nothing wrong. Never met a person like that. But here's what perfection means in this, this, this context. Perfect means complete, right? Complete. Look at this flower. If I take away half of the petals, I'm sorry for who's going to have to clean this up. Whoever's there, they're going, you're going to clean up. That's who's going to clean up. Is that flower perfect? It is still perfect. Why? Because it can still grow. It'll still be beautiful. It'll still be able to function. It's still a flower. It's a flower the way that God designed it. But I've only ripped off half of the petals there. It's incomplete. Does that make sense? And what God is trying to get us to, he's, he's trying to get us to this place where we're not trying to be perfect, we're trying to be complete in his love. Because when you don't have the fullness of his love within you, there's an incompletion in your thinking. There's an incompletion in your acting. There's an incompletion in even the way that you actually feel about yourself. And here's John, he says this. He says, how do we live in perfect love? He says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. This is how it is. In this world, we're like Jesus. How many of you think that you're like Jesus? No hands went up. Oh my God, help us as a church. He just said, this is how we're complete. We're like Jesus. And yet many of us look at Jesus and go, that guy, I can't be like him. He is perfect. He is pure. He is holy. He is wonderful. He, he is perfect and he is complete. Surely we can't be like Jesus. Well, how do you be like Jesus? Let me tell you how you be like Jesus. Embrace the same suffering of Christ. That's how you become like Christ because even Jesus had to go through completion. He had to go through being made perfect. How do I know that? Because look at this in Hebrews 2 verses 10, it says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. What does that mean? In winning people to the kingdom of God and bringing them to salvation to the Father, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of our faith. What does pioneer mean? It means first. It doesn't mean only, it means first. And what was he the first to go through? He was the pioneer of their salvation. Jesus was made perfect through what he, what does it say? Whoa, you can be like Jesus now, can't you? Huh, now you're able to be like Jesus because he was the first one to go through suffering. You will be the second one to go through suffering. Listen, if, G, if Father is willing to sacrifice his own son to win other people to the kingdom of God, what makes you think that he's not willing to sacrifice you to win other people to the kingdom of God? And through our suffering, it's not so much that we get a guarantee that people will absolutely turn to Christ, but we will have a guarantee that you'll become more like Christ because there'll be less of you and there'll be more of God. There'll be less of you and more of the Holy Spirit within you. The point is this, having enemies, I believe, is what makes us like Christ. 
So when he tells you to love your enemies, it's not because you're in, in an unfortunate situation. It's simply that you get an opportunity to now become more like Christ. Running from having enemies, I'm telling you, is stunting your growth. I'm going to just take a couple of minutes more. Years ago, about 18 years ago, over 18 years ago, there was a time in my life that was a major significant shift in my life. And many of you who were around then, you, you remember the, the time my, my father passed away. And I went through two years of just being lonely, of just being lost. I wasn't certain about who I was. I wasn't certain about what I was meant to do because I was so, I was so tied in with my father. I had such a good relationship with him and, and, uh, and, and even though he was earthly, that was my definition of what it was to be good, to be faithful, to be loving. But once you don't have that, how do you have that in your life? when you don't have someone to provide it for you. Now, it's not that I didn't have good people in my life. I had many good people. Even I had my wife. I was married. I've done wonderful things. But there's something significant about when you lose the presence of your father and you feel an incompletion in your life. Has anyone ever gone through that before? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You know that that incompletion, it stops you from being able to determine who you are and what you're meant to be. You don't know who you are anymore and you lose your definition of who you are. And it took me quite a long time, but one day as I was just asking God, God, how do I have that back again? How do I have that certainty of confidence that my father brought into my life? How do I have that certainty of love? How do I have that certainty of knowing who I was? And God spoke very clearly to me and he said, just become your father. And that day I got up, I remember going, it was a Sunday morning, I got up and I, and I went into my closet and I found his shoes that I had taken, that I'd inherited, that I, that I wear with my kilt and I put his shoes on and I came to church that day and I decided today I'm going to be my dad. This is what I'm asking you to do as well. In order to love your enemies, stop being you. Be your father. Be Jesus who gave you an example be the Holy Spirit that moves in power to be able to do the things that nobody else can do. Because let me tell you, the world can't do this. Only you can do this if you're a Christian. The politicians can't make it happen. The teachers can't make it happen. The movie stars and the complaining pop stars, they can't make it happen. Only you can make it happen. Because it's by the power of God in us that we can see this world change because we are loving our enemies one by one. Let's stand this morning. I want, to, I want you to make a decision today that you are done with being bitter about the person that's in your mind right now. Think about it. Who's in your mind right now? Who has come to your mind? You're just like, no, I just have a disagreement. Just have an argument. They just irritate me. Whatever it is. Whoever's brought to your mind right now, whether they're alive or dead, I want you to just, in your mind right now, we're going to do two things. First thing we're going to do is we're going to ask for forgiveness that we can be who we're meant to be, fill up, the whole, fill up with the Holy Spirit, put Him in charge. And then the second thing is we're going to bless them. We're going to bless them. You ready with me? Here we go. Father in heaven, repeat after me. Father in heaven, forgive me for my anger and bitterness. I want to be like you. And that's as simple as it is. I receive your forgiveness. And now I am like you. So now I turn it around. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I bless that person. 
I ask that you would bring them joy. I pray, I pray that you would show yourself to them. I pray you'd fill them up. I pray that they will be healed, restored, and forgiven through the power of God. I pray that you would change their life. I want them to be a brother or sister in the kingdom of God. And I pray for the best for them in the name of Jesus. And that's it. That's as simple as it was. It took you one minute. Every time you're bitter or angry or upset or you're disconnected in any way, take that moment to say, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm in a crappy place right now. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to bless them right now. Just pray for them. It's done. It's easy. Easy peasy. Are you with me on this one? All right. Well, let's bless God with the loudest cheer that we can. And thank the Father. God, you are good. God, you are good. Come on. Come on. Tell Him how good He is. Tell Him how good He is. We want to be like You, Father. We want to be like You. May God bless You and keep You and make His face shine upon You.